If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. This is another of our popular Listener's Choice interviews, which we're playing over the weekend. We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com choice for the rules and the leaderboard. Horse welfare and safety are of utmost importance where humans have any interaction with horses. Within the courses at International Horse College, we only utilise methods that promote safe and humane ways of interaction between horses and humans. We only support safe methods of educating riders, handlers and trainers about horse welfare. Internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Now, our guest today is a revisit from Nerida Richards. If you want to go back and listen to a little bit more about Nerida, just go to horsechats.com, search for Nerida, search for Richard, or just go horsechats.com slash Nerida Richards. Nerida is going to talk to us today about 10 tips for off-the-track thoroughbreds. How are you today, Nerida? I'm really well, thanks, Glennis. That sounds good. Sounds good. Looking forward to talking to you here, Nerida, because even though it used to be typically that Australia would go and represent ourselves internationally on off-the-track thoroughbreds, that would be the standard competition horse. And now with the great influx of warm bloods, you know, it's not so much, but they're still very popular because, and I'm, you correct me if I'm wrong, but there's more thoroughbreds in Australia than any other country. Is that correct? Oh, gosh, I don't even... Oh, I can't tell you. Yeah, yeah, look, <laughs> it was something I... It may not be current now. There's about 30,000 in training. Yeah, which is quite a few. Oh, that's a, that's not in training at any one time. So total numbers, I'd have to look it up. But yeah, um, but yeah, yeah it's yeah. a lot. Yes, yes. So this top 10 tips for off-the-track thoroughbreds I think is very relevant, very relevant to our listeners in Australia, but also to our listeners overseas who have thought about a thoroughbred but not really had enough information about them. We've got some tips here. So first of all, tell us why you've chosen this 10 tips for off-the-track thoroughbreds. Oh, I guess I just see people struggling with them so much, mm-hmm. you know, struggling to put weight on them, struggling to um, keep their temperament under control when they're trying to re-educate them, and so much of it comes down to how you're feeding them. So I thought it would be a good one. Yep, yep, good, good. So their gut. Tell us about what their gut is likely to look like after their racing life. Yeah, okay. So when you think about a horse and the way it evolved, it evolved as a, a continuous grazer, so a very high forage diet, um, very little grain or starch um, in their natural diet, and they were eating it continuously versus a thoroughbred in race training where they fed in a couple of very distinct meals each day. And um, the survey we did back in 2000, that was published back in 2003, found that they eat on average 7.3 kilos of cereal grain-based feed. So if you if you wanted to um, make two feeding systems as, as yes. opposing as possible, you'd probably choose those two, which means they, they gut um, becomes very technical term, but, but gets really messed up. Um, generally when they're in training. So a horse's um, gut is designed to handle these really high forage diets um, and and with continuous grazing. So I guess in the stomach, the stomach's always full when a horse is, is allowed to eat continuously a high forage diet. 
And the horse's stomach is designed to secrete gastric acid continuously because they're always eating, so it never developed an on-off switch, which means the bottom part of the stomach where that acid is secreted is protected from the acid because it was smart enough to know it needed to protect itself. The top part of the stomach, because the stomach was always full of fibre, um, there was never any acid that splashed up there, so it actually never developed any, any protection from gastric acid. Now, in a racehorse, generally what happens is they're fed probably at the latest at about 9 p.m., at night, mm-hmm. um, and so their, their stomach gradually empties overnight, but it continues to secrete gastric acid, which becomes very acidic because there's no saliva buffering um, and and making it less acidic. So by the time it comes to training in the morning, they've got these pool of really acidic gastric fluid sitting in the bottom of their stomach and absolutely no fibre in there to stop it from splashing around. So the first thing you need to be aware of with these off-the-track racehorses is um, because of this continuous splashing of acid on the top part of their stomach, most um, you know, and there's been estimates of 99%, but generally you'll see estimates of 80 to 90% of them will have gastric ulcers when they come out of training. So that's number one well, thing. It's high, to isn't it? Very high. It's, yeah, it's yeah. enormous. But when you when you know how and why they're formed, mm, it makes mm. a lot of sense because mm. most of them are trained on an empty stomach, and so their stomach day after day after day is getting bathed in this acidic fluid, um, and it just burns holes in the top part of their stomach mm, and causes mm, ulcers. So, um, that's something that you need to address when they come off the track, which yeah. we'll talk about in a little while. And then if we go um, so down through the 27 metres or so of small intestine they have, that that will look largely um, like how it should look um, in and off-the-track horse. But then when we come to the hindgut, so their cecum and colon, which is um, really enlarged, so it's, it's the equivalent of our small intestine, but it's proportionally it's much bigger in a horse because that's where they hold all the fibre. And they hold um, trillions, so you know, I worked out it's about 115 trillion bacteria. So 115 wow. to 12 zeros after it. That's a lot. Wow. It's a lot of bacteria. So they all they all live in there. And in a grazing horse, um, you've predominantly got the fibre fermenting bacteria. So a big family of bacteria that love to ferment fibre. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing with these fibre fermenting bacteria is they do not like an acidic environment. So in a racehorse um, that fed 7.3 kilos of grain and a large part of that grain is often cracked corn and cracked corn doesn't get digested well. So, so that's starch, cracked maize, um, isn't it? You know, just for people who are listening from overseas, cracked corn is cracked maize. Cracked yeah, maize. Yep. corn and maize are the, yep. same, the same thing. So if you, if you break down a corn or a maize kernel, you'll see in the middle there's a white stuff. So that's, yep. that stuff's the starch and that's where most of the energy is contained in a grain and that's why we feed grains to horses. But if you have a look at uh, starch from raw corn or maize, um, it's bundled up so tightly. The starch is like in little balls. It's bundled mm-hmm. up so tightly that the enzymes in the small intestine, and I just think of enzymes as little pairs of scissors, they have to come along and chop um, the starch into single glucose molecules. So the starch is just a chain of glucose all joined together. So the enzymes have to cut it up into glucose, but with maize, they just they can't get to it. You can get to like 25, maybe 30% of it and cut it up so the horse absorbs that as glucose, then the rest ends up in the hindgut. And what it does in there is feed this second family of bacteria that love to ferment starch. Okay. Um, and they they are able to ferment very, very quickly um, and they build up a lot of acid and they their population doubles every something like every um eighteen minutes to two hours. Wow. So they wow. Really wow. Quick, like so they double. So the numbers mm. double um, you know, sort of every two hours. 
And what that does is bring the pH in a hind gut down um, and makes it sick. And the poor little fibre-fermenting bacteria initially will just shut down and try to just try to survive. But then if it gets acidic enough, so below about 6.2 pH, which is not very low, you're like neutral 7, so you don't, uh-huh. you don't uh-huh. need a whole lot of fermentation going along. To get it to 6.2, they'll just die. Um, so most of the off-the-track racehorses come out of training um, with hind guts that have been fed large amounts of starch, um, and they'll be virtually devoid of fibre-fermenting bacteria, mm-hmm. which means that when we get them off the track and we try to feed them high-forage diets, they don't have any bacteria there to do the work of digesting it for them. And I, I think this is a large part of the reason why they get labelled as hard keepers is because yes. they, just, they yes. simply don't have their little, their little bacteria to do the work of digesting fibre for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's probably the main that is messed up is just their bacterial populations are all over the place. Yeah, and we need yeah. to get them back to being normal. Okay. Now, how do we deal with these gastric ulcers and poor appetites? Okay, so um, gastric ulcers often will cause poor appetites because if you think about it, if you've got an open wound in your stomach um, and then you eat something, say, very salty, it's going yep. to hurt. Of course and it just, is. You know, yep. like porridge and stuff, it's going to cause pain. So so you'll sometimes um, you'll sometimes see they will, they'll just go off their feed. They don't want to eat because it's a painful process to eat. Mm-hmm. So. With your gastric ulcers, um, you really have to treat them with some sort of ulcer treatment. Um, so a meprazole, renitidine, and there's a bunch of different brands on the market. Just talk to your vet, um, and it's a veterinary prescribed process, so you, mm-hmm. you have to work with your vet on that one. But what those medications do is actually just cut the acid production in the stomach for a while. So, and you know, to to heal ulcers in the upper part of the stomach, you've got to have them on those medications for about four weeks. Um, but it just it just creates a an environment. They don't actually do anything to heal the ulcers, but it just takes the acid away from the stomach for a while to create an environment to let them heal. Mm-hmm. It's also important to have them on quality protein, which you can go to our FedExL website if you want to read up on what good quality protein is because I don't really have time to cover it. But um, there's some particular amino acids um, like threonine, glutamine, that are very involved in, in um, the repair of the gut and also the gut lining's ability to make mucus to protect itself. So you need um, you need good quality protein in there. And just feeding lots of forage too. So forage gets them to salivate a lot and will keep the pH um, higher, so not as acidic in the stomach. And it keeps the stomach full so that when they do start to, um, when you allow them to brew acid again, they won't get any acid flushing up okay. um, on the top part of the stomach to yep. aggravate them again. Yep. Yeah. Um, and the other the other thing that we try to do too is just take them off grain. So we usually mm-hmm. go grain grain free feeds so that the starch is not fermenting and creating acid in there too. Yeah, 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 that's good. That's good. Now talk to us about the hoof quality. It's often poor in the off the track thoroughbreds. Mm. What causes that? And tell us a bit about it. Well, I'd probably say it's not genetic. So I work on a lot of thoroughbred farms and with a lot of young thoroughbreds before they go anywhere near a training stable. Um, yeah. And they feed good. So, okay. You know, That's interesting to know. Some flat yeah. Yeah, but, but, but they don't, as a breed, they don't just have all quality feet. So mm-hmm. it's interesting watching them when they've been in training for a while, their feet do become soft and shelly and they grow slowly. But part of this is going to be standing in stables and if the stable's not, you know, really clean, that's not going to help. Part of it's going to be they're getting shoes on and off constantly. That's certainly not going to help. Um, but I think um, at least part of it is um, the, the fibre-fermented bacteria in the hindgut produce biotin. 
Yep. And I think that you know they just they become biotin deficient because they they don't have this population of bacteria producing it for them, um, and then that's going to affect tooth quality as well. And there's also the unknown of you know we don't really know how well balanced their diet is if they're getting their copper and zinc requirements met. Um, Again, protein quality plays a role in, in hoof growth. So if the protein quality of the racing diet um, is not great, then their hooves aren't going to be great. But um, bringing them out of out of training um, and getting them onto a fibre-based diet and just getting their bacteria to rehabilitate to a healthy fibre-fermenting population okay. um, and also just making sure you are meeting proper and zinc and quality protein requirements. So their feet, um, their hooves, <laughs> they work call them feet, the hooves um, will rehabilitate back to being really healthy if you get their diet and their gut right. Okay, okay. So the gut bacteria and rehabilitating that, have you got something to say about that? It's um Yeah, so this, so this is the whole key to the off-thoroughbred. So a lot of the problems you'll see is because the gut bacteria are completely unbalanced yep. um, with a lot of what we would call the bad bacteria. So you start mm-hmm. fermenting bacteria and, and hardly what we would call the good bacteria, which are fibrous fermenting bacteria. And really the, the best way to, to rebalance that, put them on a fibre-based diet. So lots of pasture if you're lucky enough to have pasture available. Yep. Um, lots of hay and can um, loosen our salad because um, it's high in protein, which will um, help a bunch of things. Uh, it's also been shown in a couple of studies to help with catastrophes too. Mm-hmm. So you quite a few beneficial effects from loosen. Um, and then... So lots and lots of fiber, but then also taking all the starch out of the diet. So no grain-based feeds, um, and especially no uncooked grain-based feeds if you can. Yep. Um, and it, it just means that it just means that you will feed the bacteria that you want. So you're feeding the fiber-fermenting bacteria, and you're literally starving the starch-fermenting bacteria. So if you don't feed them, they won't stay there in the population that they've built up to. Um, and and the opposite. Um, if you feed the fibrous bacteria, then you will build up their you will build up their population. So it will happen. It will happen quite slowly for a while, um, but it will eventually happen. Probiotics are probably not going to be of much use, um, depending on what they are. But most of the bacteria that live in the hind are very sensitive to oxygen, like it's pocket to them. So it's almost impossible to buy a probiotic that contains the bacteria you want to establish the hind gut. Okay. Um, if you've got a horse that's been made really, really sick, um, way too much corn, or if you've been on large doses of antibiotics um, and the, the gut seems very disrupted, you know, they, they have diarrhea really badly or they just don't seem to be able to hold weight at all, then it, it's possible um, that you might need to get the manure from a healthy horse on a very forage-based diet. Um, and with your vet, um, make a, a slurry and strain all the fibrous parts out of it and then actually make the gastric tube them with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that will introduce at least a starting population of fibrous fermenting bacteria into their gut. Okay. Um, but it's okay. just, it's, it's, it's patience. A lot of it's patience. Patience is not yes, yes. really. <laughs> okay. the job. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. 
So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Now, improving hoof quality, you've already said that they're going to be a good chance they'll be biotin deficient. Is that the key to the hoof quality or is there something else to improve their quality? Oh, look, if you if you put biotin into a diet that's deficient in copper and zinc, mm-hmm. then you're not going to actually have any positive effect on okay. on um, hoof quality. So it, it comes from, um, you know, you need your base diet to be correct. So good quality protein. So things like lucerne and soybean um, will provide that. And then um, making sure that your mineral levels are met. So using a good vitamin mineral supplement. And I will always say, you know, go to the Excel and actually put what you're feeding in there so you can see that you're meeting requirements or not. And then once you've got all that, if you still think that your horse is struggling with improving hoof quality, then certainly um, adding additional bite into the diet can help. Um, it might just be the process of, of getting them to grow out because you know it takes about six months to grow a whole new hoof. Um, so it might just speed up the process of getting them to grow out their poor quality hoof tissue and, and getting better quality stuff in place. Okay, okay, good. Now, with their appetite, getting them to gain weight, once we've got their gut in order, what have you got to say about just improving their appetite, getting them to gain weight? Yeah, so... Um, so um, their appetite will improve. If they've got ulcers, that's going to be really what knocks their appetite around. Mm-hmm. So getting them on as ulcer-treating drugs, you should almost notice, not instantly, but within sort of the first week, you, you should notice that they're a little bit happy to eat. Um, be really conscious when they're first off the track of salt in the diet. Um, and if, you know, if they're really not, not wanting to eat um, processed feeds and just be aware that most of them have got salt added to them and I, I do think that that has a pretty impact on whether they want to eat or not um, and certainly if you're adding salt to the diet and they're being picky then take the salt out um, mm-hmm. and you should find that they improve but um, if they're yeah, treating treating them for ulcers and then getting their hindgut um, bacteria back into balance too because they'll produce vitamin B1 which we know um, affects appetite so if you've got that vitamin being produced again then they, their appetite should pick up but but doing all those things so treating for ulcers and feeding lots of fiber you should just naturally notice that their appetite will pick up um, and then of course once they're eating properly um they and their gut bacteria rehabilitate they should start to gain weight um they really are they really are tricky to, to put weight on um but if you can be patient and just let them be a horse for a couple of months, you know, don't try and push a whole heap of feed into them to get them to, to gain weight really quickly as soon as they're off the track. Just let their gut rehabilitate back to being nice and healthy and then long term they'll be able to hold their weight much easier. So, you know, instead of having a hard keeping off the track thoroughbred, you have to feed kilos and kilos of feed to every day. Um, you should actually get to a situation where you've got an off the track thoroughbred that can maintain weight really nicely on a largely forage-based diet, just mm-hmm. depending on how much work they're doing. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. Okay, what about their temperament, though? You know, generally, to get them calm. Yeah, so so um, classic Catch-22, a lot of people will get off the track thoroughbreds and they look at them and I mean you know a lot of them are really quite thin um, and and instinctively we want to put weight 
on them um, so that they're not quite... I think, just remember that they're not, they're not standing there looking in a mirror going, oh, I look terrible, <laughs> I need to put weight on. Because um, as soon as you... They'll, they'll feel fine. If you're, you know, if you're feeding them plenty of feed, they'll feel fine even though they're a little bit thin. But as soon as you start to try and put weight on them, you have to feed them more calories and more energy than what they strictly need. Um, as maintenance energy, so you yep. know to stay alive from from day to day. And as soon as you do that, your temperament. Mm-hmm. And every horse will do it. Um, I just said to someone the other day, I watch, I, I run and ride past a, um, quite a large group of thoroughbred horses that are all spelling. And um, and when we were in Tamworth, and when it was really dry, and they had virtually no pasture in the paddock and were being fed just you know just enough to maintain, most of them were losing a little bit little bit of weight they'd see me riding past uh, usually with two horses and they'd literally just look at me and then put their back down and keep trying to graze whatever they find um mm-hmm. there was just no spark about them at all we've had rain and they've got green pick in their paddock and now they're running and bucking along the fence with me and uh, you know <laughs> same horses i'm the same person same two horses that I'm, yep. i've got with me um, and they're just showing they're just showing that energy in their diet and their behavior so, and off the track's going to do that as well. If you feed for weight gain, you're going to influence their behaviour. And generally, they don't have a whole lot of education that you can use in the early stages to control that behaviour. So, a lot of people end up with these out of hand off the track resources because um, they're feeding them for weight gain, but at the same time, trying to educate them. So, I say do one or the other. So either, um, you know, give them four or five months, um, whatever they need to, to put on a fair amount of weight without you needing to do anything other than expecting them to have good ground manners, without yep. the pressure of having you on their back and having to behave, or get them off the track, um, still them for ulcers and, and get them on a fibre-based but educate them just on a really basic maintenance diet, just enough you know, calories or energy in the diet to maintain weight. And then once they're educated and you think that you can handle the extra energy you're going to give them on a weight gain diet, then feed them to gain weight. You really, it, it's tough unless it's a particularly special horse. Um, and also, too, the, the um, experience of the rider is going to make a big difference, too. So, I mean, you know, very sure, experienced riders of course. Um, can handle them when they've got a bit more energy. But if you, if you don't fit into that category, then, then educate first and then feed for weight gain. Do it the other way around. Feed for weight gain and then, and then bring the diet back to a maintenance diet again and um or you know just to match the, the workload that they're getting and, and then educate them don't try and do both at the same time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what about they might be calm to ride they go out you put them out in the paddock and they just walk up and down the fence they're their fence walker mm. what, what can we do to deal with that yeah um, they're, they're tough to deal with so so the, the thing with fence walkers is um, they're using a lot of energy, so they're mm. constantly moving. Um, you think about you know, if you were constantly moving, how much energy you'd actually burn up in a day. And then they're not grazing. So they're using energy, they're burning it up. They're actually eating to take in energy yep. or calories to replace what they're burning up. They're very, very difficult to put weight on. Um, generally, if you put them with a buddy, so you got to remember these guys are raised in big groups. You know, they're, they're often um, in in paddocks of ten or twelve other um, colleagues. 
other little friends to run around with as weanlings and yearlings. And, and then even, you know, when they go to, to the breakers and the trading stables and stuff, there's always so many horses around them. So if you get one and he's in a paddock by himself, that's a really foreign place for Robert generally to be. So if you can get him a buddy um, of some kind, um, preferably an equine, but, you know, sometimes a buddy out with goats or sheep or, or other animals. But, and you want that buddy to be calm and to be, you know, out and grazing a lot so mm-hmm. Robert will sort of follow Might need another, yeah, maybe maybe not an off-the-track thoroughbred or, or another cut. No, no okay. No. okay. All right, what about the first 12 months off the track? Have you got a feeding timeline? What would that look like? Yeah, I, I do. Um, I, I was reading through it before. I don't think I'm going to be able to remember this to, to um, talk about it, but if you go to feedxl.com and look in the Knowledge Hub, there's a, um, a newsletter there that says feeding the off-the-track thoroughbred. Okay, just say their website um, again. We'll put that in. Yep. Uh, so feedxl.com. Yep, perfect. Yeah, so um, there's a, a schedule in, in there, but just very briefly, so the first month I would say just hay, so mm-hmm. lots of loosened hay and, and pasture. So if you've got pasture, pasture and loosened hay, if you don't have pasture, they're pasture, sorry, loosened hay and grassy hay. Yep. Um, and really as, as much as they want to eat, and it just it just lets their gut really come back to being a very um, forage and fibre based system, mm-hmm. and use a use a vitamin mineral balance to it. So there's a ton of that around now, um, just to just to keep their minerals balanced, um, and look for one that's got nice quality protein as well, just so you can start that process of gastric losses in their stomach and of improving their hoof quality. Um, but it just it'll just let them come down off their racing diet. It'll bring their energy levels right down so that they can actually calm down and, and think a little bit. Yes. Um, and then if you if you're happy with how they're going after that first month on that diet, you can you can start to look at bringing some higher energy feeds in. Just depending, and it's a very you know case by case basis, but um, you can start look at bringing some higher energy feeds or um, supplements in. But I'd still stay away from cereal grains. So if you if you can stay away from um, any chance of seeing those fermenting bacteria in the gut. So look mm-hmm. for things like you know, we've got lupins, which are nice and high in protein as well. Um, we've got beet pulps and copper meals, and um, you've got quite a few choices as lupin holes, soybean holes, all those sort of higher energy. Um, high fibre ingredients. You can look at using some vegetable oil, um, but just really, just go by what your horse is telling you as far as as far as what he needs, and try not to panic too much about the fact that he may or may not have gained any weight since you got him off the track. And in fact, you may have lost some weight since you got them off the track um, just in that in that first month with letting them just be on hay or pasture. Okay. Um, but, you know, it's just it's just a process of just letting their gut come back to, to where it should be um, and repairing itself. So, and you know, sort of from in the two to five months, I'd be I'd be looking at just you know horse-by-horse, case-by-case basis of adding some extra energy supplements. And then once you get out sort of past the five months, if you're really careful with how you do it and if you want to do it, you can start introducing some um, grain-based seeds back into the diet. But just make sure that they're cooked. Um, So extruded feeds, um, there's plenty of them around from different companies, um, are the most digestible option you can get and probably the most preferable ones. But it just means that they're going to have starch in them, but, but, you know, most of the starch 
is going to be digested and cut, cut up by the starch digesting enzymes in the small intestine, and, you, and you're not going to be dumping a lot into the hindgut. So you're not you're going to be minimising the risk of actually feeding those starch fermenting bacteria again. Mm-hmm. And how much extra feed you can feed is really going to depend on on what you're doing. So are you, are you trying to ride the horse and educate it, um, or are you trying to make him gain weight? Um, yep. So it's just a matter of um, just feeding to your horse, I guess, and knowing, knowing what he can handle and what he needs and, and what you need to as a rider to stay safe and have him say, mustn't come for you. Yep, yep. All right. Well, it sounds like slow and steady wins the race. And um, you talked before about having an easy keeper thoroughbred. Have you got any final words to say about that? Yeah. Look, I, um, I'm told all the time that um, thoroughbreds are hard keepers and then yes. I go out on thoroughbred studs and, and most of my time is spent managing broodmares, um, but thoroughbred broodmares. But they're, mm. really not, they're really not hard keepers. Um, again, there's a breed that labelled that. But um, if you can get their gut back to using fibre, so, you know, when they come out of a racing stable, you will feed them hay, but most of it will go in their mouth and then out of manure, completely undigested because they don't have the bacteria in there to actually extract the calories out of it for your horse. So this slow and steady is just giving the horse's gut time to get itself back to being able to utilise fibre and mm-hmm. forage efficiently. And then once you can do that, they, they're so they efficient. They efficiently digest everything that you're feeding them, and they do. They become quite easy keepers. Okay. So instead of having to feed them four or five kilos of feed a day, you might be looking at one or two kilos a day um, yes. to maintain their maintain their body weight where you need them. Yes. But, but it's just a matter of being patient enough to let that process happen. Okay. And, of course, if we can save that money on feed and, um, you know, so the horses aren't so expensive to look after. If they become very expensive and people are on budget, they may not have the the best care in the world, but if they can be maintained on a lower budget, I think that's that's ideal, really. Absolutely, and this is where um, you know feed excel plays a pretty important role in this as well because we get worried that we're not feeding our horses or not meeting their requirements um, well enough and start adding quite expensive supplements and um, different bits and pieces to mm-hmm. their feed without really knowing what you're adding. So if you're actually just seeing the diet in a scientific way, you, yep. you'll have that confidence that you are feeding them everything you need without feeding them a lot of additional stuff that they don't need and that, yes. that saves a bunch of money as yes. well. Yes. Okay. Now, if people would like to ask you more questions, how can they contact you? What's the best way? Probably with things like Jump Now, um, Excel Horse Nutrition Forum mm-hmm. um, on Facebook. Yep. And you can ask us some questions as you like on there. <laughs> Okay, then. All right. And we'll have that link direct in your page, which will be horsechats.com slash narratorrichards2, or just go to horsechats.com, search for narrator or search for Richards, and you'll find it. We'll have that link through to that forum, and um, that's going to be the best way if you've got questions about the the tips for off-the-track thoroughbreds. So again, Nerida, thank you very much for your information. Brilliant working with you, um, and look forward to catching up with you again soon. Okay, thanks, goodness. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below. 